when we first started buying the single family rental homes, a lot of people thought we were crazy. And probably one of the biggest mistakes that I've made is not raising more money earlier to do it. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? Do you need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available? Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal best ever listener, the founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times and they have been a previous sponsor and they love working with the best ever listeners and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Tony Hawk. He is a successful entrepreneur, that's for sure. Emmett Smith, he develops real estate. If you didn't know that, go listen to this episode. And a whole bunch of others with us today, Gary Beasley. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well, and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Gary. He is a CEO and co-founder of Roofstock, the first online marketplace for investing in leased single-family rental homes. Him and his company are based in Oakland, California, with that being said, Gary, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, happy to. So I've been at the intersection of real estate and technology for the majority of my career. Spent some time in the resort and hotel business. I was a CFO of one of the first online residential brokerages called Zip Realty. We took that public in 04 and most recently got involved in the single family rental business with some partners, started buying homes during the downturn in 2009 and built a platform called Waypoint Homes, which we ultimately took public in 2014. And currently I'm running Roofstock, which I co-founded with Gregor Watson here two years ago. And as Joe mentioned, we're the first marketplace that's focused on selling homes that are investment homes that have tenants in place. So you can buy them and have cash flow day one. And if you're selling the homes, you don't have to vacate them. So it's very low cost, low friction, diligence is done up front and you could buy homes more like a book on Amazon. And we're really trying to increase liquidity and open up and really democratize the investing market for real estate. What's the difference between Roofstock and say Memphis Invest? Memphis Invest, for those of you listeners who don't know, is a turnkey company in Memphis. So with Memphis Invest, you are buying homes that already have tenants in them. I think the difference would be when you come to Roofstock, you could buy homes all over the country and you have a little bit more variety of product. You can choose to use different property managers. I would say it's similar in that you're buying a cash flowing product. It's a much different UI and ability to shop and buy for buy properties and you can buy them in many different markets around the country. Okay. Really looking forward to diving in here. I just do want to comment that I hadn't heard of Roofstock until I think it was two days ago. And actually on my website, I have a invest with Joe form and accredited investors. They filled out who want to get to know me and potentially partner on future stuff. And 
one of the gentlemen who reached out to me, he told me that he had invested with you all, and I hadn't heard of it. And he had a good experience, and I was like, Roofstock, I can't believe I haven't come across them before because I feel like I've interviewed everyone in this space. It was cool in such a coincidence that two days ago, I was doing some research on you all, and then I just happened to see on my calendar that I was talking to you today. So one, just wanted to mention that as a point of social credibility for everyone listening, that I have spoken to someone who has invested with you all on a couple properties. So now a couple follow-up questions on your business. As an investor who is looking to purchase turnkey properties, it's one thing to identify the opportunity. It's another to successfully see it through from a management standpoint. So how do you all set up the investor for success on the latter part? Great question. Really important dealing with that last mile, which is the operations. And so at Roofstock, part of our goal here is to really separate operations from investing. And we do that by certifying local property managers who pass through our screen and we make sure they've been around for a while, have good accounting software, good customer service ratings, et cetera, enough scale. So we certify them. So when you buy a home through our site, you could select which property manager you would like to use and it gets transferred over pre-closing. So it's seamless. That's a really, really important part of our business. Plus we've built an app that allows us to suck in the data from all the property managers and monitor the performance on behalf of all the clients. So we can benchmark you and make sure that the property managers are doing a good job, make sure you're not being overcharged for things and hold them accountable for service. We also have negotiated bulk pricing with all the property managers. So you could get pricing that's similar to an institutional investor, even though you're a mom and pop investor. So they'll handle all the leasing, repair and maintenance, collections, turns, all those types of things that need to be done in the market. So one of the things that I think to keep in mind, over 90% of our investors through Roofstock are investing in markets where they do not live. So really, really critical for us to have those in-market property management relationships that perform well. Another point of emphasis as a, if I were an investor looking to purchase a turnkey property would be the quality of renovation that the property just went through. So how do you qualify the quality of the renovation that likely just took place? These homes, they're already occupied. So unlike some of the turnkey operations where they're buying homes and they're renovating them and just leasing them, our homes have already been renovated and leased, and so they have a sort of a cash flow history to them already. What we do is we have them inspected, and the inspection reports are all on our website. So you review the inspection report. There's cost estimates of any repairs that would need to be made either immediately or at the next occupancy. We estimate the useful life of all the major systems and things like that. And that's all built into the underwriting of the asset. So that's how we do it is we have a a whole series of inspectors we work with who use our app to inspect properties. I've learned the difference of economic versus physical occupancy the hard way where physical occupancy, number of people living at a place, economic number of people paying to live at the place. So with the property, when you have a resident in it, what type of qualification process does that resident go through? And what type of assurances, if any, does the purchaser have? We started off by design getting our inventory from some of the largest institutional owners. Several of them are public, some of the large private companies. They all have very similar screening processes. So the tenants have been through background checks. 
They have at least three times income to rent ratio, no prior evictions, et cetera. That's part of our tenant certification. So for a home to show up on our site, not only does it have to pass our home certification, it has to pass our tenant certification. And also we have to have a certified property manager there. So all those three legs of the stool need to be there. That's really important. As we continue to broaden our supply partners, we do put through each of these property managers who are managing the homes that are being sold. We evaluate the screen that the tenants have been through. And over time, we'll continue to expose more and more of that information to buyers about sort of payment history, the various screens that they've been through, et cetera. And that's as we sort of broaden the number of sellers that we put through the platform. But to date, it's been fairly uniform and really a very high standard of care that the leasing companies have used. And what are the ways Roofstock makes money? We make money principally by getting a fee from the sellers when properties sell. We typically charge 2.5% to our sellers, so it's obviously less than a traditional fee. And we have a half a percent marketplace fee for buyers, which gets buyers access to our platform and all the diligence materials on our site, as well as all of our closing tools, et cetera. Got it. So per transaction, your company's making 3% on the total transaction amount. What type of challenges have you come across since you've launched and what year did you launch? We launched exactly two years ago. And there were, I think, a couple of big challenges we've faced and so far overcome. One was, could we actually get people to buy $100,000 plus items sight unseen over the internet in a marketplace environment? And the answer is yes, we've sold hundreds of homes this way. Two is, can we actually source proprietary supply from sellers who would agree to sell them with tenants in place through Roofstock, not through a traditional MLS environment, and really have enough supply to create a vibrant marketplace. And that has actually worked too. So kind of the buying chunky items side unseen and getting supply going were both big challenges we've overcome. I'd say that the biggest challenge any marketplace faces like ours is balancing supply and demand. So when we first started off, we felt like we had plenty of supply because we had a couple hundred homes from some big sellers. We sold through that inventory and now we have a lot of demand looking for supply. So we're going back and now filling the supply bucket again. But that's one of the constant challenges with any marketplace is balancing those two elements. And depending on what week it is, I'm more worried about either supply or demand, which I guess is the, the sign of a healthy marketplace as it's being built. With the sellers, what is their motivation for selling with Roofstock versus a local broker? Well, when I was selling homes, running my last company, it was costing me 10 to 12% all in because there was a 5 or 6% broker commission. Plus, I was losing on average about four months of income because I'd have to vacate it to sell it on the MLS. And that three or four points. And then I was having to spiff the homes up to sell them, to sell them to retail buyers. So it was 10 to 12 points versus a two and a half percent through us. And half of that 10 to 12% is your lost income and CapEx to spiff it up to sell it on the MLS. The other half's the traditional commission, but we don't have any of that. Our commission's half as much, plus there's no lost income and no CapEx to sell it. So you could actually, as a seller, sell it for a little bit less and still net more And it's easier. You get your money faster because you don't have to wait for the home to vacate. So it's a really compelling value proposition for the sellers. 
on the buy side, it's interesting and compelling too, because you don't need a big team of people to go out and make a bunch of offers and renovate homes to get them cash flowing. They're already cash flowing. So you could really be more of an investor and it's almost real estate as a service. You're buying these cash flowing homes across the country in a diversified way and relying on our kind of software and business processes to enable that. And it's a very low fee. I guess in my mind, I'm trying to do an apples to apples comparison and in my mind, it's not apples to apples. So help me understand this a little bit. Because when you mentioned the 10 to 12%, you said broker fees, got it. That makes sense. Apples to apples in my mind, 5 or 6% to in total 3% to what you all do. It's 2.5% to the seller because we get a half a point from the buyer. Ah, uh, got, got it, got it, got it. Okay, fair enough. So 2.5%, thanks. But on the other side, four months of lost income plus you have to fix it up. But if they're fixing it up, don't they have to fix it up to have a tenant in there already to bring it to roof stock? Because isn't that the whole thing? Yeah. To maximize the value on the MLS, typically you want to do some maybe paint and carpet and landscaping, things like that. And we're not talking about a major renovation, but it's typically a few thousand dollars to present it and compare well with other homes that are being sold retail. But the bigger issue is you've got several months of vacant rent where there is no income. So you're carrying the home, you're paying the mortgage, you're paying taxes, and there's no rent coming in. And the average gross yield on these homes is about 10 to 12%. So a 12% gross yield home means you're getting 1% of the value of the home every month in rent. So if you lose four months of rent, that's 4% of the value of your home of cash that you don't have, yeah. you otherwise would have. So that's how you get to that and four. I totally understand that. Totally get fewer to put on MLS and it takes four months to sell, four months of lost rent. Got it. But in order to sell on roof stock, don't they have to have a tenant in place? The tenant's already in place. So they're continuing to collect that rent as the owner during the marketing process. Got it. But what I was thinking is if I have a house and fixing it up and I'm deciding, do I sell it with a broker local or do I sell it via roof stock? If I choose to sell it via roof stock, then... I have to get a tenant in place and I have to make sure it's obviously moving ready because there has to be a tenant in there. Exactly. Some people now, we're starting to work with a lot of traditional fix and flip partners who instead of fixing up homes they're buying and selling in retail are now starting to put tenants in them and, and sell them through roof stock because they could get paid while they wait and sort of get a yield. But the typical sellers right now have homes that are already occupied Okay. Um, they're looking to sell them and the choice is, do I wait for the tenant to move out or do I move it over and sell it through Roofstock? Okay. I'm with you. Based on your experience, you've been in the real estate industry in some form or fashion, real estate and technology for sure. What is your best advice ever for the best real estate listeners? The best real estate advice, I would say f for me, it's developing a thesis and then having enough conviction around it even when people may not agree with you. I would say from my experience, for example, when we first started buying the single family rental homes, a lot of people thought we were crazy. And probably one of the biggest mistakes that I've made is not raising more money earlier to do it because my partners and I had conviction, but because so many people said, you're crazy, you're buying houses, you know, the world's ending. So I would say that my advice would be that develop conviction around a thesis, and then go for it, execute. And obviously you have the right 
time horizon and don't over leverage yourself, but stick to your guns and, and remember real estate cyclical. And if you invest in the right points in the cycle, I think eventually you'll end up doing well. I'm all about when we make mistakes, we learn from them. So maybe they're not a mistake. I get that mentality, but what are three mistakes that you've made that come to mind? And again, I understand if they turn into growth experiences, et cetera, et cetera. But what are three mistakes that you've made in this business that come to mind? As I think back on it, not raising enough money early enough in one of my earlier ventures, worried about, say, diluting, not diluting, but creating too much dilution by raising too much money at a lower valuation. Mm -hmm. uh, an earlier company didn't raise enough money, had to raise money again, and then had to raise it at a lower valuation. So kind of got washed out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I advise entrepreneurs is when the money's there, generally raise more rather than less and, and accept a little bit of dilution. I would say a mistake I made earlier in my life personally was I rented for a very long time while homes went up in value and finally decided to buy and, and ended up um, buying at the peak of the market when I could have bought <laughs> much better times. So, what year did you buy? 2005. Oh, congratulations. In, yeah. in, in California? Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. There you go. <laughs> yeah. um, it, do you still have the place? I do. So is it worth? Is it doesn't really matter since you still have it. But is it worth more than two thousand five? Yeah, it's definitely worth more than it was in two thousand five. But and I bought it at a different time in the cycle. It would have been yeah. much right. Again, it comes down to timing with a lot of these things with real estate. Right? And I would say just another mistake that I've made, and this is more related to building a company in the real estate space or really in any space, is not acting quickly enough when you have a bad hire who you know is not going to work out. And so I just think in general, uh, making a change when your gut tells you you need to do so, you sort of bite the bullet and do it. Whether you're building a company in real estate or anything else, I think that's just a lesson that I have learned over time is you sort of take the pain. Absolutely. And usually they are relieved when you fire them. Correct. Because it's clear that it's not working out. They feel it. They understand it. And they're meant to do bigger and better things in some other area of their life. Absolutely. Ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dwellyn.com forward slash show. Okay, best ever book you've read? Gosh, probably Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. What's the best ever transaction you've done in business or real estate? 
probably when I was in the resort business, we bought an iconic resort for about 50% of what the prior owner paid for it 10 years prior. So we bought it at a very good time in the cycle and ended up selling it a few years later for about three times what we paid for it. Best ever way you like to give back? I like to give back to youth and kids. So I've been involved in a nonprofit called Build for a number of years. It teaches disadvantaged kids in high school about entrepreneurship and helps them get into college and onto life success. And I find that very rewarding. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or learn more about your company? I would say to learn more about Roofstock can go directly to our website, which is just roofstock.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Roofstock or me personally at GaryBees2013. That's my Twitter handle. I'm guessing I know what year you joined Twitter. (laughs) 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 Gary, Gary, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking through the business model of Roofstock, the approach that you take as an entrepreneur, the lessons learned along the way that are applicable not only to real estate investing, but also to business building as a whole and the business model, as well as talking through kind of the competitive advantage that you all have. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dwellyn.com forward slash show.